Hey, I'm Pastor Jeff Dawes, lead pastor here at Stockbridge Community Church. I just want to say thank you for joining us here online. It is our prayer today that today's message would be helpful and meaningful to your life. If you're in the South Atlanta area, I would personally like to invite you to come to one of our three services on Sunday at 9 a.m., 10.30 a.m., and 12 p.m. We're located at 4401 Highway 155 North in Stockbridge, Georgia. You may visit our website for more information at sccview.net. Again, that's sccview.net. Thanks again for listening. I hope that you have a wonderful day. Well, good morning, SCC. You know, you know, I thought about that this week, and we are Team SCC. You, you agree? I mean, we are Team SCC. At my house, we are Team Dawes, okay? But it, here, we are Team SCC. We're together. We're on the same team. So anyway, I just want to say good morning to you. I love you. I hope you're having a great day. Dads, you rock. I just want you to know that. You rock, dads, and we are glad that you're here. We're starting a brand new series today called, Are We There Yet? How many of you ever heard your children say, are we there yet? Okay. How many of you as a child said that to your parents, are we there yet? Okay, yes. And so what we're doing this series on is because many times in our family relationships, uh, in, in our jobs, or in our finances, we just think, you know what? Man, we should be there already. We shouldn't have to go through this again. You know what I'm talking about? Are you tracking with me? Anybody understand what I'm saying? So are we there yet? And so today we want to we dive in, and it is Father's Day, and, and I wanted to talk about family today um, uh, a little bit. And, and, and the thing that I, I begin with this question is, you know, when we start this, we have this idea of family, a picture, right? We get a picture in our mind of what we think family should be. And, 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 I, and the question is, where do we get that picture from? You know, like, what, where does it come from? And I think that many times we get these pictures, like when we walk in and through the mall, you know, you'll see them in these frames, and they sort of look like this. Look at these pictures. You know, look at all these people. I mean, like, don't they look like they got it together? I mean, don't you, when you look at those pictures, you go, man, now that is the perfect family right there. You know, but what I want to tell you is, is that anybody can come in and do a photo shoot, Right? I mean, we can all look good. Now, I'm going to tell you, so for some of us, it's getting a little harder to look good. I'll just to be honest with you, it's just getting a little bit harder to do that. Uh, Rhonda's doing all she can with me. I want you to know that, you know, dressing me and all that. She's trying to help me out. But so what I'm saying is there's a story behind every picture that you do not see. And, then, you know, you may look at these people and say, oh, they're so beautiful and they got it all together and all this, blah, 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 blah. I can tell you this. Over 22 years I've been the pastor of this church. And every time that I pick the family out, now that is the perfect family. You know, years ago, you used to think, boy, that's the perfect family. Then you get to know them. You realize that, hey, he's strung out on some, uh, addicted to some, you know, uh, drug or something, and, and she's got a spending problem, and, and, you know, the kids are going crazy, and you're like, whoa. And so what I want to tell you today is that, you know what, we can't look at pictures like that and say, okay, this is perfect. What is it? You may say today, you know what? Well, I tell you what, Pastor Jeff, I know the Christian answer today. So if we want to find the perfect answer, the perfect family, we got to go to the Bible, right? <laughs> oh, yeah. Let's just start out with that, all right? So let's just go ahead. Okay, yeah, our first family is Adam and Eve. Would you agree with that? Now, you see these pictures I have of Adam and Eve, right? Okay, so it doesn't get much better, right? I'm, I'm not that creative. 
Uh, but uh, Adam and Eve, you think, okay, that's a perfect family, right? This is God's children. God created them. I mean, like, he created Adam. He created Eve. They're perfect people, right? No, they're jacked up. Just think, of, okay, we know that they sinned, all right? Their family was jacked up, too. And that means, you know, their oldest son decided to kill the younger son. You realize that, right? The first murder was come from Adam and Eve's family. That's it. Bam. So we got to mark them off. They're not perfect. And then we have the next guy, uh, David. Oh, remember David and Goliath? Oh, King David, how great King David. He beat Goliath. Whoa, great guy. Great family. Picture of a perfect family. No. You know, many of you know the story of David, how that after he defeated Goliath, he became king, and he actually uh, had an affair. And not only did he have an affair, but he actually had the woman's husband murdered. And not only that, but David's son, one of David's sons raped his daughter. Another one of his sons tried to take over the kingdom and actually was killed. All kind of jacked up. Am I depressing you already? <laughs> like, dang, Jeff, wow, that's bad. Okay, we can find one perfect family, right? One perfect family in the Bible. All right, well, let's just go to the next one. And you might say, well, what about Mary and Joseph? Oh, they're the perfect family, right? I mean, like, you know, God chose them to you know, have his son. I mean, you know, that's how Jesus got here through this perfect Mary. Oh, Mary, you were highly favored, you know. They messed up too. They lost their child for three days. <laughs> now they lost, they didn't just, they lost the son of God for three days. They couldn't find Jesus for three days. What kind of parents is that, right? We'd have them arrested today on abandonment charges or something. So what I'm trying to, the, what I want to tell you today is that the Bible never gives us a picture of a perfect family. But what God does give us is perfect principles to live by. And you see, it's somehow in this mess that God never, ever, ever, ever says, okay, here's a picture you got to live up to. He's no, here's the principles. Every one of these stories is that God wants to use your family. He wants to use your family. He wants to restore your family and redeem your family because he's God and he wants it to be his story. You see, every one of these stories had a but God moment in it. So we were jacked up. We were broken. It was broken. But God came in and did this. In spite of our brokenness, God did this. And so we all need to have a but God moment in our lives, in our families, because we're all broken people. That's what I want to tell you. So that's why the pressure's off. Okay, listen, listen. Every one of you here today, every one of you, there's no perfect people here. We're all broken. We're all messed up, okay? So we've got to have a God in our lives, God in our lives, to help us with the brokenness. Amen? Amen. All right. So today, I want to give you this thought. It's coming up on the screen. I'd like for you to read it with me. Let's read it together. You ready? Come on. God doesn't use perfect pictures. He uses broken people. God uses broken people. So if you're broken today, if your family's broken, it's been broken, you've been broken, then guess what? You are a perfect candidate for God to use. Because God uses, he doesn't use perfect pictures. He uses broken people. And that's his story. Now, today, we're going to, I want to share with you today about a guy by the name of Nehemiah in the Bible. Nehemiah, let me set it up for you. Nehemiah was a guy that was, uh, did pretty, he was doing pretty well. He was actually uh, in a country, another country outside of Israel, 
and he was working for a king doing pretty good for himself. Well, he hears a story about how that Israel, the, the city of Jerusalem in particular, how the, the walls around the city, which provided his protection, had been torn down. And because of that, his family lived there. His people lived there. And because of those walls being torn down, those broken places in those walls, then, then the enemies, their enemies, was able to come in and take advantage of the women and children, to rob them, to do all kinds of horrible things to his people. And so he decides that he's got to do something for his family. And so today I want to talk to you how to restore the brokenness in my family. And so the first thing I want you to write down before any further in this story, I want you to write this first principle down. You ready? Would you write this down? Number one, I must ask God to heal what is broken in me. What is broken in me? I, I hope that every one of you today, I don't, you know, I don't care if you're, if you're 12 or you're 90, today that you would ask God to heal what's broken in me. Because we're broken people. We need healing. Nehemiah goes into doing it. He, he shows us how it is. So Nehemiah, the first thing that he does is he begins to talk to God and he begins to say, Lord, here's the problem over here. I want to go help this. But watch what happens in the scripture. Look what it says. Nehemiah's praying. He said, Lord God of heaven, you are great and fearsome and you, are, you faithfully keep your promises to everyone who loves you and obeys your commands. I am your servant, so please have mercy on me and answer the prayer that I make day and night for the people of Israel who serve you. See that? So he's praying basically for his family and distant family. Now would you read out loud the next word right there? Let's shout out. You ready? I. Come on, say it again. You ready? I. Circle that. I, my family, and the rest of your people have what? Sin. Then he goes into saying, okay, now remember, he started praying. He was praying this prayer for them. Now all of a sudden it's turned to him. You see that? He's praying, God, help your people. And now all of a sudden it's come back to him. I, my family, and your people have sinned. Then he goes on to say, we've sinned this way. By choosing to disobey you and the laws and the teachings you gave to your servant Moses. So the first thing that happens is Nehemiah begins to pray this prayer for his people, and then all of a sudden God turns the spotlight on his life. And so today I want to give you four things today to deal with you, okay? Not with everybody else, but to deal with you. Four things to help you heal as a person, yourself. Here they are. Let's write them down. You ready? The first one is this, is pray. I pray about it, okay? I pray about it. I pray, I pray, I pray, I pray about it. See, Nehemiah was praying about another situation, and as soon as he started praying about what he thought, you know, he's, he was, in essence, he's saying, you know, my parents are the problem, my brothers and sisters are the problem. As soon as he started praying about what he thought was the problem, God did something else. He did number two. Step number two is this, is God reveals it. God reveals it. God revealed the issue in Nehemiah's life, the it in his life. What, what he thought was it was really wasn't it. The it was he had to deal with was him. God revealed it in Nehemiah that he had sin in his own life. The third thing is this, is number three is I admit it. I admit it. So I pray about it. Then God reveals what's wrong in my life, the it in my life. 
And then I admit, God, you're right. I do have a problem. I have this problem in my life. I admit it. Now, I want to say this. I said this a couple weeks ago. I'll say it again. God cannot even help you with a problem that you're not willing to admit that you have. So if God can't help you, nobody can help you. You're helpless. You are helpless until you admit, I've got this problem. You cannot get better until you admit it. And the Bible doesn't use the word admit a lot, but it does use another word that, is, that means the same thing, and that word is confess. I must confess it, right? The way that you become a Christian is you confess your sins. As a matter of fact, look what the Bible says in 1 John 1 and 9. It says, but if we what? Come on, shout out. If we what? Confess. 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 If we confess our sins to who? To God. There we go. He will always be trusted to forgive us and take away our sins. Here's what I'm going to tell you. You can, never be, you can never live forgiven. Can't do you living forgiven until you confess to God what you did wrong. And so you have to confess it. You have to confess it. God, this is what I did wrong. And once you confess it to God, why does God want you to confess your sins? Number one, he wants you to admit it so that you can recognize it. And once you recognize it, you confess it, you recognize it, he forgives you. Why? Because he empowers you. You're forgiven because you confessed it, you recognize it, and then you can avoid it. You can never avoid a problem that you're not willing to admit you have. And so once you confess it, admit it, then you can avoid it. You can, you can begin to work on it and do whatever it takes. And so remember that. And so today, you're not a Christ follower. The first step that you do to become a Christ follower is you confess, God, I'm sorry. God, I'm wrong. You are right, God. I have been wrong. And you confess that. And so, matter of fact, today, if you're sitting here and you're not a Christ follower, there's a prayer inside of our program that we want you to pray. It will lead you in that step to making that first confession of your life that will change everything. You cannot change yourself. Only God can change you. And so today we challenge you to pray that prayer sometime during the service. And if when you do, just on the back of this connection card, if you just check the box that I'm praying the prayer to become a Christ follower so we can pray for you this week. Number four, would you write this down? Number four, God heals it. I pray about it, God reveals it, I admit it, and then number four, God heals it. God heals it. He heals the issue going on with me. It's not everybody else that needs healing, it's me. I need it, God, I need to be healed. Now let me just say this to you, okay? Are you listening? If you're listening, say amen. All right, here we go, watch this. Healing is a process. Healing is a process. Surgery, surgery is a one, it's like just, man, within hours you can have surgery done, right? I mean, shoot, uh, sometimes uh, uh, Rhonda does surgery on me when I get a, th a splinter in my thumb or something. You know, she's like, oh, I'm like, that's surgery to me. You pull out a needle and you dig into me, that's surgery, baby. You can do, you know, so surgery can happen just in a minute. A doctor can, and that's what I always say when people are about to have surgery. I say, you know, doctors can do the cutting, but it takes God to do the healing. Right? <laughs> unless, unless God gives approval, your finger won't even heal from a, from a cut. It takes God. Listen, in your situation, your relationship, some of you in this room, 
You've been fighting, you know, with your spouse or with your parents or with your children or something. You've been fighting for five years over some issue. And that, listen, you want to pray one prayer and you want to say, God, help us with this and help us have no more arguments about it. Amen. And it be done. No, no, no. What God's going to do, he's going to reveal it. Then you can admit it. Then you can confess it. And once you admit it and confess it, then guess what? Then the healing starts. So what I'm trying to tell you is that you don't get better overnight. You get better through a process. And God often uses people to help you get better. I want to tell you, God has used men to write this Bible that we have. And I want to tell you, God has used this Bible that men have written to help me become a person of character. The, only, the character that I have is because I have read God's Word. I got in God's Word. It got inside of me. And it's made me become the man that I am. I want to tell you another thing. God has used a counselor to help me get, uh, get rid of fear in my life. I had a big fear problem in my life. Now, you would, you, when you meet me, you wouldn't think that because I'm type A. And listen, you know, I was born a fighter. You know, I just, just like, I mean, I'm aggressive kind of guy. And so to meet me, you'd never think that I had that issue in my life. Well, I, I did, and, and God used a counselor to help me address that. And I'll talk a little bit more about that just in a little bit. God used Dave Ramsey, Financial Peace University, to heal my finances. God used that course to help Rhonda and I get on the same page with our finances, and therefore, we didn't have to live broke once we started practicing that. And healing again, healing in our finances took about 18 months. It wasn't, it all in that decision, and we went through it. God used marriage in my life to teach me not to be selfish. God used marriage in my life to teach me not to be selfish. What I want to tell you is that God often uses other people in your life to do that. And so, matter of fact, we have connect groups that happen in our church all the time so you can be around people because they're going to teach you something that you, you know what, that you're not going to know, and uh, it helps you. Matter of fact, there's a sheet inside of our program today that if you want to sign up for a connect group, you can and just sign up on the back of your connection card because you need people in your life. Okay, I have this statement coming up. Let's read it together. You ready? Let's read this. When I get better, everything else, come on, say it again. When I get better, everything else gets better. So what I'm telling you today is that healing begins with you. It starts with you. If your family's going to get better, you got to get better. You say, but Pastor Jeff, you don't know my husband. You don't know my wife. You don't know my kids. You don't know my parents. No, I don't. But I'm telling you, if you start with you, you, you start there. Instead of working on them, you work on you and watch what happens. When you go up, they'll come up. It's an amazing miracle that happens. Matter of fact, I, uh, I read of a, a guy one time that was uh, spending some time with his son and a call came in from work and he had to do some uh, work real quickly and he, his son was like four years old and he needed a little time to himself so he thought he would do something to help his son be occupied. So he, he looked, flipped over the newspaper and he seen the picture of a globe in there. So he took it out, he cuts it out, and he cuts it into pieces, and he takes those pieces and he sets them. He says, son, I want you to sit over here, and I want you to put this globe together. He thought that would at least occupy him about 20 minutes. And so he goes back, he starts working, and within five minutes, his son comes back in. He has the globe taped perfectly together. He said, daddy, look, I did it. His dad thought, I got a genius right here. My son is a genius. He said, I knew there was greatness in my gene pool, and here it is. He said, son, how did you do that? How did you do that so quickly? 
He said, oh, daddy, it was easy. And the little boy turned the picture over, and there was a man on the other side. He said, I put the man together. <laughs> daddy, when I put the man together, the world come together. When you put you together, the world comes together. If you get that today, and you walk home with that, and you work on that, friend, you're going to be better. Okay. Now, let me just move to number two. Number two, how to restore brokenness in my family. Number two, I must be willing to fight for my family. I must be willing to fight for my family. I got to bring you up to speed. Nehemiah has, uh, you know, he prayed and God revealed that. And all of a sudden he goes to his country. He looks around Jerusalem. He sees all the brokenness there. He begins to organize the people. They come together. They begin to build the walls back so that they can have safety and they can prosper again. And then the people, the enemies of, of, of the Jewish people don't like it. And, and so they're beginning to threaten them. So Nehemiah is having to station them around to make sure that they can, that they can uh, fend off the enemy and keep working as well. So look what he does. Look, look what it says. Nehemiah 4, 13, it says, Therefore I stationed some of the people behind the lowest points of the wall. Would you read what's underlined with me? Ready? At the exposed places. Would you just write broken places? Broken places. Because many of us in our families, we, ha we have to fight at exposed places, at broken places. He goes on, At the exposed places, posting them by families with their sword, their spears, and their bows, and after I looked things over, I stood up and said to the nobles, to the officials and the rest of the people, do not be afraid of them. Remember the Lord, who is great and awesome, and fight for who? Fight for your brothers. Fight for who? And your, and your, and your. Fight for your sons, your daughters, your brothers, your home, and your wives. So how do you fight? Most of us know how to fight. We know how to fight. We know, listen, if you can't get along, get it on, right? We know how to fight. We know how to fight. Don't we know how to fight with people, but we don't know how to fight for them. And that's the problem. We have to learn to fight for them. So how do you do that? Here we go. There's three things I want to share with you as to how to fight for your family, not with them. Number one is this, is let go of the fear. Let go of the fear. I want to tell you this, that, man, I'm a specialist in this because I was so jacked up in this area. One of the things a counselor revealed to me, see, I had a little bit of an anger problem. I had a little bit of a controlling problem, and that made me overreact. And I want to tell you that was all fear. What does fear make you do? Fear makes you angry, it makes you come, become controlling, and it makes you overreact. That is the symptoms of fear. And if you're an angry person, if you go, if you fly off the handle real quickly, friend, I would say that you might have a root of fear inside of you that you need someone to help you work through. If you're a controlling person, that you're always got to have things right in your hands, I would say that's a fear issue, and you need someone to help you work through that. If you're always overreacting, if you're always embarrassing your family because you're opening up your big mouth before you should, that was me. I'm the chief. I was the chief of that. I've been healed, by the way. Hallelujah. Now, I'm still in the tail end of that process, so sometimes it still creeps up. But what I want to tell you, that's fear, and so we need to get over that. Number two, you ready? Talk to God first. Talk to God first. Quit talking to your BFF 
who has no experience in relationships, quit talking to them first, you know, talk to God first, and that way God can heal your emotions before you need to go engage this person. Talk to them first. The third thing, or look what the Bible says. 1 John 1 and 17, Jesus taught us about this. Look what he said. He said, for the law was given through who? Through Moses. Now look what happened. So what is the law? Oh, in your family. Oh, we're laying down the law. We're laying down the law. We laid down the law on them. How's that working for you? Laid down the law. Yeah, you laid down the law, all right. Now look what happens. Jesus comes into the picture. He changes that. Grace and what? Came through who? Okay, here we go. See, the law is like, this is the way it is. But grace and truth is relationship. Because, listen, it ain't always just like this, is it? There's a lot of things I thought was just, this is just the way that it is until it happens to you or your family. Then you've got to say, okay, whoa, wait a minute, grace and truth. What does grace mean? Grace means that you give a person undeserved kindness. They don't deserve you to be nice to them. What they did was wrong. It deserves to be, it deserves to be criticized. It, they deserve to be treated badly. But grace is undeserved kindness. Just the same thing that God gave to you. Hello? Let me tell you something. There's nobody in this room deserves to go to heaven. Not one of you. I know we got a lot of good people in this room, but you ain't that good. You done jacked up. You done, you done hurt God. You done, you done some bad things in your life. But because God treated you with undeserved kindness, grace, you're still alive today. Because God could just say, hey, you're done, baby. We're going to fry you right now. But he doesn't. It's undeserved kindness. What is truth? Truth is speaking the truth in love. It's expressing your feelings. You've got to share how you feel about it. You cannot cover it up. You cannot cover that up. You have to express how you feel about it. Listen, Rhonda and I are going to be celebrating 30 years here in a couple weeks of marriage. It was 10 years into that that our relationship really began to take off. I remember standing in our house. We lived in Rex uh, area at that time. I remember standing in a, in a bedroom, that master bedroom in that house, and her looking at me, and she said, Jeff, when you always make me second guess every decision I make, you make me feel little. That was the first time in 10 years of marriage that she's ever told me how she felt. The first time ever. And I can remember looking at her and saying, Rhonda, that is the last thing that I ever want to do to you is make you feel little. And I want you to know that with God's help, I'm going to change because I never want you, I never want to make you feel that way. And that one conversation turned our relationship and we begin to build on that foundation. Now, 20 years later, I never have to worry about that. <laughs> She's pretty good about telling me how she feels now. But it, <laughs> yes. I'm like, hey, white flag here. Whoa, whoa, hey, hey, I surrender. <laughs> it changed everything. So here's a statement I want you to remember. Here it comes up. Look at it. Let's read it together. Here we go. Let's read. 
Revealing my feelings is the beginning of healing. Now, I want to say something to all the type A people in this room, all right? You don't need to reveal any more yours. You have vomited, vomited them up all over us for a long time, so just hold on to yours a little bit. And I say that, I say that joke, uh, you know, jokingly, but, but don't you know, type A people don't hide their feelings. They just go, blah, all the time. So you need to hold some of that back, you know, and just use a little wisdom. But all the people, the other 90% of you, only 10% of the world is a type A. The other 90% of you, you need to learn to speak up. Because, listen, we're not mind readers. And we can't change if you don't tell us how you feel. So if you want to help your relationship, you cannot stay there in silence and say, well, they ought to know. They don't know. Did you hear that? Well, they ought to know. If they love me, they know. No, 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 no. We do not know. We think you think like us. So I'm just telling you. Okay, number three. Here we go. Number three is fight for the relationship. Fight for the relationship. Not the law. Not the law. Not the law. You know, this is the law. We can't break the law. No. Jesus is all about relationships. And relationships are messy. They're broken, right? They're messy. It's not just absolutes there's a guy by the name of reggie joiner who's written a number of books on family and he tells a story about his daughter how that uh, when they were she was 13 years old that you know she was the youngest uh, of his sibling uh, the youngest sibling and, and says she had learned a lot of verbal skills so she learned she leaned in, uh, she learned a lot of those skills so he said one day he was upstairs in her room and they were having a sort of loud conversation with his 13 year old daughter and said out of nowhere she began to say she said something that was so hurtful to me he said i didn't know what to do he said none of my kids had ever said anything like that to me he said, so I just turned around, I walked out of the room, I walked downstairs, and I went and got my keys out of the kitchen, and I went and got in my car, and I just took off driving. He said, about 20 minutes later, my phone rang, he said, it was my daughter, he said, it's one of those moments where the child becomes a parent. He said, she said to me, Dad, I want you to know I'm very sorry for what I said to you, I was wrong, I shouldn't, I did not mean that. But he said, what she said next was life-changing. She said, but dad, why did you leave? Why did you leave? Dad, I want to know that our relationship is worth fighting for. Why did you leave? All I want to know, dad, is that you would fight for me, that you would fight for me, that you would not just run out on me, that you would fight for me. And I want to tell you what, every relationship, every child is wanting to know that. Let me tell you something, parents. Let me your kids are going to do things. They don't deserve your kindness. They don't deserve your grace, but you're the parent. And they're going, to, they're going to say dumb things. They're going to say mean things. They're going to say hurtful things. And it's going to hurt. And you're going to want to run. But you can't. They're, what they're wanting to know, are you willing to fight for me? Are you willing to fight for this marriage? Are you willing to fight for our family? So we're not going anywhere. We're right here. And you can be as stupid as long as you need to be stupid. But we're going to be right here to love you and to let you know that we're still here. We're still here. We're not running. And when you get through going through what you're going through, we're going to be right here because that's what parents do. And that's what families do. They fight for it. How do you do that? You keep communication open. 
That means this, that you listen, when you have a child or, or relationships are starting to crumble and nobody wants to talk, you don't just clam up. With my kids, you know, there's times that we go through it. And you know what? I, I'll call and they won't call me back. I'll text and they won't text me back. I'll leave voicemails and they don't, they don't respond. And it's in those moments to where everything in my mind, well, I tell you what, I've done all this well, and they get ready to come back to me, then they can just come. That's what I want. Is that what you want to do? But that's not what a godly person does. Why? Because we realize that we're the parents. And we realize that we've got to let them know no matter what you're going through and no matter how you feel about this and no matter how you feel about me right now with what's going on in our lives, I love you and I'm always going to be here for you because I love you. I love you. I love you. Love only grows when it knows it doesn't leave. The Bible says perfect love casts all, out all fear. And if you're afraid that somebody's going to leave, you will never, you'll always live in fear. I want my kids to know that, listen, they don't have to fear. I want Rhonda to know, I'm not going anywhere, baby. We can have any conversation you want to have. Because if you ever decide to leave me, pack, your, pack my bags too, because I'm coming with you. I'm going with you. Wherever you're going, I'm going. You ain't getting rid of me. No, no. I'm not leaving. Love grows in that. We have to fight for our families. And so what I want to ask you to do on the back of your connection card, it says, I will do my best to fight for my family and not with my family. I want you to mark that box. When we're praying for you this week, we're going to pray for your family. We're going to pray for your family. Uh-uh. The last thing I would share with you is how to restore brokenness in my family because we're all broken. Is that this? Would you write this down? I, will, I must never allow anything to distract me from my family. Nehemiah gets the walls built and he's hanging the last couple of gates and he's, he's working. And the enemies try to get him to come. They think, if we can just get him distracted, just get him to get away from there, we can persuade him. Look what he says. It says this, Sam Ballin and Gresham sent to me saying, come, let us meet together in the valley and the plain of, oh no. Oh boy, that, that is a clue. Just circle that. Okay, look what happens. Oh no. He goes on, but they thought to do me what? Harm. There's always harm in the valley of oh no. So I sent messengers to them saying, let's read what's underlined. You ready? I'm doing a great work so that I cannot come down. Why should the work cease while I leave it and go down to you? But they sent me this message. How many times? Four times. And I answered them in the same manner. I want to talk to you. Listen, guys, I don't care how nice she looks and how sweet she sounds. She is not worth your family. Ladies, I don't, I'm going to talk to you. It's your pastor who loves you. I don't care how comforting his voice is. And I don't care how kind he is. 
And I don't care how well he listens to you. He's not worth your family. That is living in the plane of oh no. I want to tell you, there is, there is no image on a computer screen that is worth your family that's in the plane of oh no. Teenagers, I want to talk to you just a second. I don't care what, what pressure is being put on you. I don't care how much he says, if you love me, you'll do this. We're going to get married one day. Guys, I don't care what she says to you. You know what? Well, everybody else is doing it. Let's go ahead and do this. Your body is not worth it. It's not worth giving your body for. It's in the plane of, oh, no. And in the plane of, oh, no, there is always harm that is coming your way after that. And as Nehemiah said, they called for me four times. Let me tell you something. They never quit calling from the valley of Ono. The valley of Ono will always call out to you. Come back, come back. And you know who it is. You know what it is. You know what your temptation is. And I want to tell you something. That when you think about going to the plane of Ono, and you know what that plane is in your life, when you think about going there, you remember, my family is worth fighting for. I want you to stand with me right now. We're going to go back to that passage of Scripture. And we're going to respond to the plane of oh no in the same way that Nehemiah did. Do you see what's underlined on the screen behind me? I want us to read it together. You ready? Come on. You ready? I'm doing a good work and I cannot come down. Say it again. You ready? I'm doing a great work so that I cannot come down. One more time. So I'm doing a great work and I cannot come down. How do you respond to the plane of oh no to all those temptations that are coming your way that want to rob you and destroy your family? I'll tell you what you say to them. You look them right in the eye and you say this. Let's say it with passion. You ready? I'm doing a great work so that I cannot come down. Come on. Ready? I'm doing a great work so that I cannot come down. One more time. I'm doing a great work so that I cannot come down. You can't have my family. You can't have them. You can't have them. You can't. Nobody. I don't care. You can't have them. You can't buy them. You can't steal them. You can't make me cheat. No. I'm doing a great work and I can't come down. I can't come down and neither can you. Our kids are, they're counting on us. Our world is counting on us. It's looking for someone that will stand in the valley of oh no and say, oh no, I'm doing a great work and I cannot come down. Today I challenge you as men and women of God, you put that in your spirit. I'm doing a great work and I can't come down. And when I feel like I've had all that I can take and I can't take no more, I remember that he's a good, good God. That he's a good, good Father. Today I can trust him. They pray, Father, right now in the name of your son, Jesus, would you just move among us, oh God, as you already are. Lord, there's people in this room, God, that when I said the plane of, oh no, God, there's thoughts going through their mind of who it is or what it is, oh God, that made me putting their family in jeopardy. Right now, I ask you to give them strength. God, to say, no, I'm doing a great work, so I cannot come down. God, I ask you right now that you would just move. God, in those right now that will be tempted, oh God, I ask that they remember this day. I'm doing a great work, and I cannot come down. 
Seal it in our spirits in Jesus' name because you're a good, good Father. Come on, sing with us. Hi, this is Pastor Jeff again. I just want to say I hope you enjoyed today's message. If you would like to support God's work through Stockbridge Community Church, simply go to our website at secview.net. Again, that's secview.net and click the Give tab. We want to thank you again for being with us today. God bless you. Have a wonderful day.